They said it couldn't be done. Independence was impossible. Through fear-mongering and other forms of negative rhetoric, they made you give up on your dreams. Well now, it's time. To prove them all wrong. It's time to blow up the system and change the world. And we've got the man who did it. Broadcasting from studios in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Outliers. Here's your host, visionary and founder of Fedora Outlier LLC, Vashawn Jones. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Vashawn Jones, and I am the visionary of Fedora Outlier LLC, and we are here today to interview someone that I've been trying to get on for a while. She never knew it, but in my mind, when I first heard her speak, Um, At the 75th Annual National Federation of the Blind Convention, I said, what she's talking about is something special, something different. It isn't the you are blind, you can do it speech. It was something really, really unique in it. And um, I reached out to a good friend, a mutual friend of ours, Denise Brown, and I said, hey, do you know the woman who just spoke? She said, yes, that's my friend. I said, I have to talk to her. She has something great to uh, give to the world. Fast forward two years later, I'm at a party, and I always go to the Philadelphia Affiliates party that Denise has, and I'm acting stupid. And beside me is this lady, and I immediately got my stuff together (laughs) and said, okay, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. And um, so we have her here. Miss Ever Harrison, and it's Harrison, correct? Correct. Excellent. How H-A-I-R. are? A I R. Yeah. There you go. S-T-O-S. There you go. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, Ever, first of all, how did you get the name Ever? How did that come about? Uh, it is an unusual name. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents uh, wanted E V A, but my Grand, um, which was my grandmother's, my maternal grandmother's name. Um, but then we learned later that the midwife who brought her into this world had spelled it E-V-E-R. And so, of course, when I <laughs> was born and brought into this world by a midwife, uh, they weren't the greatest spellers, if you will, um, but they certainly had skills in doing what they knew how to do. So they spelled my name, um, E-V-E-R, and so that's how I'm left with the name Ever. Mm. Yeah, definitely a very unique name. I ran into people named Tuesday in January, and um, (laughs) Ever is definitely at the top of the list for uniqueness. And um, I would imagine that name separated you from a lot of individuals growing up. how did you um, grow up? Where did you grow up at? How did you lose your sight? Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Okay. I um, uh, Part of my story is also unusual where I grew up, especially at my age, but I grew up on a plantation located in the western part of North Carolina. It was called the Cooley Me Plantation. So there I was raised by my parents and paternal grandparents who lived on that plantation, and they were sharecroppers. My 
grandfather worked in the plantation home that was once um, the owners there were at one time the richest slave owners throughout the South. So as I grew up on the plantation uh, and picked cotton and did all the things that you do on a plantation, and one of the things that I had to do is stay out of school, um, usually two consecutive weeks at a time picking cotton. But at that time, there were, I had six siblings, and uh, of the six siblings, there were four girls, and all four of us um, had RP, which is retinitis pigmentosa, which we grew up with. And at that time, during the early stages, one of the things that we had to deal with was night blindness. But we didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that we shared or even the family talked about. And then there was one other sister, uh, the youngest sister of the seven children, uh, that did not have RP. Mm -hmm. And so neither did the two brothers have RP, but the four sisters, and two of them, two of the sisters died at an early age, one at age 16 and the other one at age 22. So growing up with RP uh, was like our secret. We mm. kept it to ourselves, but of course there were things that we had to deal with, uh, some embarrassment, uh, some shame, and I think for me it was the shame that affected me the most. Uh, growing up, and so I i guess that's why I didn't talk about it, because I was ashamed. Mm -hmm. And then um, in high school is where I remember, and I guess it was one of the most significant times of my life, um, and I tell this story quite often, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when I was dating a um, quarterback at a rival school, which was in, we grew up in the, the county seat on the plantation was Moxville, North Carolina. Okay. And we um, didn't have a football team at our school, but the rival school, which was um, Dunbar High School in Lexington. And so I was a cheerleader, but we had a basketball team. And we had a very good basketball team. And so... Um, but when a uh, a game was a football game was being played at Dunbar High, I always wanted to go. So my parents consented this particular night, and my uh, older sister and I, who was also blind, mm -hmm. we went to the game. Now remember, it was night blindness that we were dealing with, but we could see usually <laughs> during the daylight. Right. So we went to the game, and of course, when we entered the stadium, it was. A daylight, but by the time we were ready to um, return from the stadium, walk down a sidewalk, neither of us could see that there was little lanterns lit up indicating that there was construction on the sidewalk. So as a result of that, both of us, both of us fell into a four-and-a-half-foot hole. Hmm. So that was the earliest big incident that I remember and has stuck with me all of these years. And the sad part about that experience is that all the people that were around us just kind of laughed, and I guess they thought we were intoxicated, but neither of us were drinkers. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, 
you know, and just trying to struggle to get out of that hole was something, and all dirty, and yet we had to go and get in the quarterback's brand new car. Wow. <laughs> all dirty and muddy. So that's an experience, um, early experience with night blindness. And then, of course, on to college, because I wasn't one of these people who was going to give up. But immediately after college, I went to New York to work as a live-in maid. And so that, too, was an experience because I didn't share with the family that I worked with mm-hmm. of boy that I had um, night blindness. And so one night I was returning to their home from New York City, and um, I got out of the cab, and I was kind of shuffling my feet trying to get to the door because I couldn't see. And I didn't realize that they were standing in the doorway watching me the entire time. So when I got to the door and they Mm -hmm. said, what is wrong? Have you been drinking? I'm like, no. I guess that's the first thing people think when you're not walking straight or erect. Mm -hmm. And so I said, no, of course not. And I just burst out and started crying. And that's the time that I admitted to them that I couldn't see at night. But at the end of that summer... um, after working for them, they were very kind to me and gave me money to return to North Carolina, mm-hmm. where I was going to begin nursing school at Duke University. However, I was unable to get admitted into the nursing school because I failed the eye exam. So those were the things in the early stages that affected me. But I guess I was always determined mm-hmm. and uh, was not going to be defeated. So then I was invited to stay with an aunt and uncle and live off campus and attend North Carolina Central University. And then that's when I got involved with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., marched in the civil rights movement of the 60s, went to jail with Dr. (laughs) King. (laughs) And so, um, I mean, that's how it started, and that's how I became an activist. And then it wasn't until years later uh, after college, um, being uh, forced to resign from a teaching position in New Jersey, and uh, then learning about the National Federation of the Blind by receiving a phone call from someone from the National Center, <laughs> because I had already um, uh, connected with the New Jersey State Commission for the Blind. So as you can tell, mm-hmm. after college, I moved to New Jersey to start my teaching career. So anyway, so they called me and I uh, was trying to get involved, but they told me that, the commission told me that I couldn't learn Braille because I had some light perception. And they gave me this crazy test where they had me filling sandpaper. And because I couldn't fill it to their satisfaction, I was told, you'll never learn Braille. Well, that's that they were wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. Of course. So, so the good thing is that I, in 1987, attended my first NFB convention. Um, but I was reluctant <laughs> and didn't want to do this. But um, I did, uh, reluctantly, and I'm telling you, that was the beginning of a new life for me. Mm. I learned that, yes, I had been an activist with the national, um, I mean, with the civil rights movement, 
And now I could become an activist with the National Federation of the Blind, which also was another civil rights organization. And I was thrilled to death. I was just thrilled. Um, and I have not missed attending a convention since I've been involved in many areas. Um, after being forced to resign from teaching in New Jersey, I went on and got a degree in counseling and began to work for the state of New Jersey. Um, started at, at the very bottom as a counselor trainee and ended up becoming the director of the program under the Department of Health and Human Services. So hmm. I've had a good life. Um, it's been a struggle, um, but I I just believe that we can decide how we want to live our lives. We want to live the life we want, or we want to sit home and feel sorry for ourselves and collect a Social Security disability check, or get out and provide a service. Because helping others is certainly a big help to ourselves, and I truly believe that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I said this year when I was reelected as uh, a member of the Board of Directors, uh, and I serve as president of the National Federation of the Blind of California. I went, while in New Jersey, I was first vice president of the National Federation of the Blind of New Jersey. Also, I started a program in New Jersey with two other people called the LEAD program. L-E-A-D, which stands for Leadership, Education, Advocacy, and Determination. So hmm. I guess I've always been involved. Um, which is, brings me joy and has been very rewarding to me. Okay. Uh, but okay. that does not say that I don't have struggles and times that I have to deal with being blind, and not just being blind, but being black, blind, and female. Mm. A triple whammy. Let me ask you this. Let's rewind a bit because you skipped over Martin Luther King, which is uh, very, very important. Um, what were some of the things that you were doing? What was his teaching? I mean, you were in his presence. What was that that like being in front of a, a world leader um, and following, you know, in his footsteps? Well, I guess in uh, 1963, I didn't realize, and most of us didn't, that he was such a world leader. Mm -hmm. He came on campus and he talked to us about nonviolence and that we had needed to fight for our civil rights. And he talked to us about how important we were and we needed to believe in ourselves. And he, would, he always had such a good sense of humor. And, I mean, when he spoke, you just sat up and listened. And having lived on a plantation and attended a segregated school, how could I not listen? Because all the things that I wanted and had yearned for, this is what Dr. King was talking about. Having to go and sit at a lunch counter and not being served just because of the color of my skin. Or we would go into town every Saturday and the barbecue stand, and everybody loved it. It was called Stamey's Barbecue, but blacks had to go and stand at the window at the back in order to order. So those kinds of things that I had um, lived with. And so having met Dr. King, and he's talking about we deserve more, and I, I just sat up and listened and got involved. And so 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we did that was important to me is the one of the marches that we did was from North Carolina Central campus to Sears Roebuck and Company because at the time Sears did not hire blacks. Um, and of course, we couldn't sit at the lunch counters in Durham, North Carolina. We couldn't attend the movie theaters and sit where everybody else sat. We had to go up in the balcony. So we marched 2,000 strong from the campus, about six miles to Sears, Roebuck, and Company. And as we were marching, there was all kinds of debris thrown on us, uh, rock stones and debris, but we continued to march and tried to ignore uh, what was being said and what was being thrown on us. But it's when we reached the Sears, Roebuck, and Company, and we sat on the parking lot, and um, (laughs) the police started moving in and ordering us to move, but we refused the order, and uh, uh, we remained steadfast in our sitting positions. And then it was was, uh, Dr. King, you know, on uh, the bullhorn saying, stay put. Stay put, you know. Remember, nonviolence. And he was teaching us all the way and just being there to support us and letting us know we were not alone. He was always with us. And so that was so assuring, very reassuring. And uh, so then when the police came onto the parking lot with buses and it seemed like they were going to run over us, we were screaming, praying, yelling, and singing. And um, But we remained seated, and then the buses stopped abruptly, and the police jumped out and started picking picking us up one by one, and they threw us on the buses and hauled us to jail, packed us into the jail cells like sardines in a can. (laughs) And I often say, uh, uh, look, we were so close to each other, we could have performed mouth-to-mouth resuscitation was, right, right. <laughs> you know, just from the closeness of uh, how mm-hmm. we were packed into that jail cells, with those jail cells. Mm-hmm. So in 87 with the National Federation of the Blind, who was the national president at that time? Was that Mauer? It was Dr. Mauer. Dr. Mauer became president in 1986, and one year later there I was in Phoenix, Arizona, where he was president. Man. Amazing. (laughs) So my first convention was Detroit when we had it in 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 Detroit, and we caught the the uh, well, we took a big affiliate bus to Detroit, and it was like the best trip I've ever had. And I was at the back of the bus, and Mm -hmm. I remember running off the bus, and everybody, you know how we do. Where do you think he going? Do you think he's special? Now I'm new to the affiliate and everything, and I said. Look, I got a meeting with Dr. Mauer. I got to go. I, ain't, I didn't have a meeting. I didn't know you could meet with him, but I said, I'm going to meet this man. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I get to the presidential suite, and, you know, he's sitting there. he got some peanuts in his hand. He's shaking it, and he says, well, young man, what do you want? And I say, well, I want to know how do I change people's lives for the better. He said, give them all jobs. And so I've been... Um, working on giving people jobs ever since then. But what's like that one nugget of advice or um, gem that you got from being under the leadership of Dr. Mauer? I would say um, one is 
jump in, never give up. You have gifts and talents that you could not even imagine. The best thing to do is to get involved. And don't be afraid to ask questions, and you, we can learn from each other. That's the one thing. You have been listening to Outliers, an official production of the Delivering Access Network. If you have a comment, question, or an idea for a program, email Vashon at excellence at fedoraoutlier.com. And visit fedoraoutlier.com if you'd like to purchase any of the products you hear advertised on the program. And for more great podcasts from the Delivering Access team, visit deliveringaccess.net. Check back again next time for more Outliers. Until then, thanks again for listening, and let's change the world together.